Act 5, Scene 6. No stage contains this scene. We are beyond capacity of our theater. An immense, tall wall looming even to the apex of the sky, atop unseen, smoothly finished, stands across from them along the opposite shore of the river where they stood. The river, or whatever body of water it may be, like a moat to the wall, went left and right without end. But immediately next to them it churned with the chaos of the violent roaring waterfall into the imponderable deep well of it below the cliff they had climbed. The shoreline where they stood, and the one beyond the waterfall, the river, and the wall, all stretched continuously where they turned both ways to look and distantly dissolved into a haze of infinity. The wall is seen before they reach the peak. The river does not circumscribe but streams to pass left and right endlessly along its endless line. The sun is high and there is fixed, hot, white, and charmed, a prolonged noon, a timeless sky. They are this side, still in shady woods. So the soldiers build a raft from trees they fell along its bank, while Faustus wonders at what he sees. The wall is sheer. It has no top. Its perfect stones perfectly laid, perfectly identical, identically made, identically fit, perfectly aligned. The same in each direction bent round horizon's endless distance. They pushed away from shore, but urgent forces of the river took the raft, drew it nearly to plunge and crash below, and there skirting its roaring edge looked down at death in horror. But bobbling spun then caught on rescuing streams, was swept swiftly and safely away to the wall to bump against it on gentle swirls. Now what was near is far. What was world disappeared. They turned and saw it no more. That shore vanished, no falls, no roar. A limitless sea lay where before they had stood along its edge, azure and smooth as a gem. The same is rising to blend into a sky which cloudless is also endless and flawless. Perfectly azure is seamless to a sea identically azure, 
endlessly and perfectly the same as that perfect endless wall. Except that to the wall clings mossy tendrils of ancient vine that interlacing interlock that languidly trapes drawn into gurgling pearl of the river's channel against the wall and curl. They bumped against the wall adrift and aimless for numberless hours, or they lost consciousness, or they fell into compulsive slumber in which each was lush with this sensation, a calming, soothed by sound of water that hypnotized, while wisps of wind whispered cool and comforting and touched them with gentle fingers. They dreamt of dreaming dreams and did not want to ever wake. They did not want for anything. But when the sun set on the opposite shore, shone large and full, it gave the wall a gleam, a tint of rouged gold, the halo of the holy. The vines and ivy glistered gilt and mosses showed like fretted metal filigree, a tightly woven tapestry of hallowed, precious sheen. A voice was suddenly manifest, as if beside them, which each one heard as though spoken before him, and each had turned in a different direction to hear it ask, Who is the Chosen One? I am he, the captain replied, who speaks for him, the greatest man who is king of kings, Alexander, whom the world justly obeys, warrior, of whom all men are rightly afraid. He seeks your tribute and obeisance, and demands you surrender unto him your wealth, your wisdom, and your will. We do not know this name. The watch at Eden's wall explained. It asked, Who else stands by? What are their names? The captain gave their names, except that Faustus he knew, and told as Clasthenes. None may enter, was replied. 
But wait an hour, and we will seek what we might do for he who seeks our favor. Wait the hour. He closed the passage from where his voice appeared. It did not show upon the wall, and they abided struggling to remain and not to drift by paddling and plashing with their hands, to hold the place where they had heard the voice of Eden's watch. Stage Direction While they washed against the solid high wall, the opposite shore of the river, or whatever this body of water may be, was a far and distant shore where white, wavering line of surf along the horizon of the land this seeming ocean met. Seen and vaguely heard, heard almost subliminally. It was two hours more that they had waited before the watch at Eden's wall returned, again appearing to each a voice in front of each, and spoke these words. We have a gift. Accept this stone. We send a portent and loving lesson to help him staunch his restlessness and cease desire. Once he has learned its nature and its power, his craving will desist. But you must go within the hour, for the river rises with rising winds, and rising you may be swept to your death. He dropped the object from unseen height. It fell into the captain's hand, a gemstone, in a shape and size very like a human eye, of some color you could not truly tell, vacillating, sometimes dark, sometimes bright, and showed something held up to the light, something vaguely deep inside, an artifact. It seemed heavy when it fell into his open palm. It bruised him, and yet when rested it felt so light that he could not feel it there. And it was soft, yet when the officer struck it on his sword, it marred, it scratched his iron blade, it sharply bit, although it was round and simple and smooth. Stage Directions Strangely now, as if the illusion of the clear voice and the striking presence of the man made it instantly near, the opposite shore now seemed close enough to clearly see him standing there, 
before the expansive beach. Dunes, as at a salty ocean, where loudly waves crash and wash white foam, as at a sea. Now what was far is near, what is world reappeared. An old man stood at the opposite shore, whom they had not seen, who had stood unseen watching all before. He spoke, they turned. He said these words the second time they heard. Give the stone to Faustus, it is meant for him. Not for Alexander. Alexander is dead, and momentarily, so you might also be, lest you act immediately. The captain received these words with defiance. He drew his sword. The voice that spoke seemed serene, but its import threatened violence. How shall this be? How can you know? It is a matter of what we've been and what may be. But we do not make your fate. As for Alexander, this much is history. He parted India sick and firm with injury that he had obtained by his own folly. His Macedonian elites guarding him followed his train to Babylonia. But there, in a swelter in a swamp, Laid in a humble camp bed, he who would be king of kings, he who wanted his immortality, died weakly before his friends. Some say betrayed, some say poisoned. But truly he had never recovered from the wound received from Porus. Idealized hope for novel philosophic dominion, for universal cosmopolitan global sovereignty thus faded like breath at the fading of a breath. In grief or anger, the officer declared he'd rather kill Faustus than give him this stone, and so turned to Faustus and thrust his sword into his chest. The raft careened, Faustus fell back into the river, and down to drown. While the river rose, heaved up as upon the back of a great fish, arched and lofted the whole of it, the frightened men, desperately clinging, were lifted high upon the glassy swell, and thrust with one wave lengthening, in one motion propelled, in one moment compelled. 
that all at once off the cliff all flew, captain, men, the raft, headlong to plunge with shrieks into a far, deep, darkening abyss. (laughs) 